Good evening, all. I will be reading verse this evening, James 1, 2 through 18. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith uh, through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom to guide him through a decision or circumstance, he is to ask of our benevolent God, who gives to everyone generously and without rebuke or blame, and it will be given to him. But he must ask for wisdom and faith without doubting God's willingness to help, for the one who doubts is like the billowing surge of the sea that is blown about and tossed by the wind. For such a person ought not to think or expect that he will receive anything at all from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable and restless in all his ways, in everything he thinks, feels, or decides. Let the brother in humble circumstances glory in his high position as a born-again believer, called to the true riches and to be an heir of God. And the rich man is to glory in being humbled by trials revealing human frailty, knowing true riches are found in the grace of God. For like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass as flowers falls, falls off and its beauty fades away. So too will the rich man in the midst of his pursuits fade away. Blessed, happily, spiritually, prosperous, favored by God is the man who is steadfast under trial and perseveres when tempted. For when he, is, uh, when he has passed the test and has been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which the Lord has, just, has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for temptation does not originate from God, but from our own flaws. For God cannot be tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is dragged away, enticed and baited to commit sin by his own worldly desire, lust, passion. Then when the illicit desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin has run its course, it gives birth to death. Do not be misled, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, the creator and sustainer of the heavens, in whom there is no variation, no rising or setting, or shadow cast by his turning, for he is perfect and never changes. It was of his own will that he gave us birth as his children by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, a prime example of what he created to be set apart to himself, sanctified, made holy for his divine purposes. Love that boy. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them to the passage that Danny just read in James chapter 1. In this chapter, we've been learning about trials and temptations. So by way of review... Let's look at verse 2. We talked in verse 2 about the command that we are to count and to consider and to reckon it all joy, to tally up all the facts and to come to the conclusion that trials and temptations are for our benefit, um, and therefore they should be counted as joy. 
And we all know that that is the last thing that we want to do when we're going through trials. It's not an easy thing, but we have the comfort of knowing that if we persevere, we will become mature and complete and better equipped to meet the demands and the difficulties of life. We see that in verse four, that these trials, no matter how difficult, no matter how trying they are, they're serving a purpose in our life. And we are not to waste the pain. And so in verse 4, we're told to cooperate, to uh, cooperate with the trial, to let patience, steadfastness, and perseverance have its effect in our life. And then in verse 5, we have the encouragement that we don't have to get through these trials and these tribulations on our own, that we don't have to try to maneuver through them ourselves, that if we don't know how to do it successfully, we can just ask God for wisdom and that he will pour it out upon us, that he will give it liberally, he'll give it generously to all without finding fault. He, he, he won't fault us with, with not knowing how to do it. He won't fault us for making the wrong decisions. He won't fault us for reacting in the wrong way. When we don't know what to do, he says that we just simply need to ask and that he will give it to us generously. You are not the exception, he says, uh, that, that, that anyone should ask. That, that if any man asks of God, that's anyone. It's all of us. We are all included in that. Your, your trial, your tribulation is not the exception. God wants to pour it out upon us. And he says it'll be given. Not might be given, it will be given. We're given that insurance, that assurance. And so we must ask. But here's the thing. When we ask, we must believe that what God is telling us is the, is the truth. That the way he's telling us to respond is the absolute best for us. And then we have to choose to do it. So asking and not doing it is not going to serve the purpose. And so we have to be willing to do what he tells us to do. Otherwise, James says that we're going to be tossed and turned by our trials. That we're going to be restless in our trials. And then in verse 9 through 11, we learn that trials are not a respecter of persons. Uh, they're not a respecter of social economic standing. It's not, they're not a respecter of young or old. That the, the trials are going to hit each one of us at some time or another. If you're here tonight and you're not in a trial, I've told you over and over, take good notes because you're not the exception. And then we're told that this life is, is, is brief at best. And he talks about the brevity of life and how this world we're living in, it's fading like a flower in scorching heat. It's a vapor. And that the trials and the tribulations that we are living in are but for a moment. And they are working in us a glory that far outweighs the pain. But pain is real. Tests and trials are difficult. And now we're going to find that we need to learn how to separate the tests that the Lord allows in our life from the temptations that the enemy brings. And that's what we're going to look at tonight in verses 13 uh, through 16. Let's just look at those again. Danny read that to us in the um, Amplified, and I asked him to do that because it just gave a whole other perspective. And so take some time this week and read through the Amplified. It's, it's fascinating. This, this whole section is, is really quite fascinating in the, in the Amplified. But verse 13, and I'm going to read from the New King James. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one when he is tempted, is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. 
I want you to see that James is using that same word. The word tempted there that we see over and over in verse 13 is the same word that James also uses, and it's translated as trials in verse, the testing of your faith and various trials in verse 2. It's the same word in the Greek, in the, in the original language. It's just translated different here. One place it's trials, one place it's temptations. And it's really important because that's the transition that James is going to make here. Uh, James is highlighting the, the positive role of trials in our life. He's saying in verses 2 and 3, he's saying trials are going to come. The testing of your faith is going to come. And God is going to allow them in your life because he knows that as you go through a trying time, as you go through a temptation, so so to say, that, that you will, uh, it'll produce perseverance in you and that that perseverance will make you mature and complete and not lacking anything. It's going to produce something good in you if you can just bear with it, if you can just persevere through it, if you can keep your eyes fixed on God in the midst of it and not question God and what he's doing. If you can settle it in your mind that this thing is going to have a positive outcome in your life. If you understand that tests are given to be passed. But now in verses 13 through 18, he uses that same word. And he's shifting from the positive influence of, of tests to the negative here. He's saying that, that God brings tests. Somebody said to me last week, does God test us? Well, I could argue that one until I was blue in the face. I won't, I won't even go there tonight. I'm gonna, not going to say that God does test, but I'm going to tell you, Abraham, we see it in Hebrews where the Bible says that God tested Abraham. Uh, you know, but I won't, I won't go there with you tonight. We could park on that all night. But whether God brings the test or whether God allows the test, it doesn't really matter. Because I'm going to tell you what, God is supreme. He's almighty. He's all powerful. He's the most high God. And if God can't stop a trial or a test in our life, then he's not worthy of our worship. And so I want you to consider that when you're asking yourself, does God bring a test? Peter talks about the tests in our life and how they come to prove us genuine. To prove, I'm going to tell you that every test I've been through, uh, God has, has shown me something about myself that I maybe didn't like, that he wanted to put his finger on, that he wanted to strengthen in me, that he wanted to mature in me. Uh, people always say to me, Rhea, you've lived such a hard life. If you could go back and change it, would you? And if I had to give up everything that I've learned about the Lord going through those hard times, I would, I would go through them again. And sometimes the only way you can learn that kind of stuff is going through the fire because it gets burned in you. It gets burned in you. And so I'm going to tell you, I, I'm in trial right now, but I will not shun it. I will not run from it. I will run towards it. I will embrace it because I understand that it's, it is forming something in me that can't be formed any other way. But the trials and the testing of our life, they, they have a positive role, but they can also have a negative potential because the enemy wants those trials and those tribulations to turn into temptations in our lives. In God's eyes, he allows these tests to mature us, to complete us, to build us up, to instill character and integrity in us. But in the enemy's eyes, there are opportunities to tempt, to tempt us and to disobey God, to lure us out from his presence, to get us to question his goodness, to, numb us, to, to get us to numb the pain, to get us to relieve the pressure in an unhealthy way, to get us to feed and indulge the flesh. That's what the enemy does. 
So it's not only, we're going to find out tonight that it's not only about God and it's not only about the enemy, it's about our carnal fleshly nature as well because in the end, that is what causes us to fall into sin. We can't blame it on the devil. We can't blame it on God. Let no one say God has tempted me. Uh, We need to take some responsibility ourselves. Each man is tempted when his own desire lures him out. When, when he indulges his own flesh. And, and so we've got to accept some responsibility for that, and we're going to look at that tonight. But, but he says in verse 12 that blessed is the man who endures temptation. He endures it with patience. Because when he's approved, when he, gets, when he passes that test, he'll receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. A crown is a reward. It is, we're told that we will be blessed if we respond to trials with perseverance, that, that we will come out of it with a life we could, we'd never experienced before. We'll come out of it with a new knowledge of God, with a new understanding of who he is, that that trial can be used for our good. So James is now saying, but when you're tempted, trials are going to come. But when you're tempted, don't you dare say that God is tempting me. Doug Moo is one of my favorite commentators, and he says, what can change a trial into a temptation is the attitude with which we meet it. If we fail the trial, and we, uh, when we turn to blaming God. And so, in other words, we can either embrace the trial that we're going through and endure it with joy and reap maturity and completeness, or we can give in to the temptation to accuse God and to indulge in sin and the flesh. And that's sadly what we do. It's what I do a lot. When I'm going through a hard time, a difficult time, I question God. I question his goodness. Why did you allow this in my life? I was trusting you, Lord. Where are you? I, I was believing that you were able, and, and we want to fault God. And so James is saying, be very careful that when you go through a trying time, when you go through a tribulation, do not, uh, you need to understand, he's saying, that the enemy is going to use that to tempt you. He's going to lure you out. He's going he's to get you out of the presence of God and get you to start questioning God's goodness. Look at that. He says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away. Tempted, that's that word again for trial. But now it's being used by, with the connotation that it's the enemy tempting. And he's tempting as a solicitation to do evil. Do you see that there are two sides to that picture of trials and temptations? One of them is I'm going through a trial so that God can form something in me so that he can mature me and grow me up. And the other side of that is the enemy is going to use that trial as a temptation to get me to sin, a solicitation to sin. And so we have to choose when we're going through a trial to say, how are we going to respond to this? Because the difference that the, the opportunity for a trial to t- change into a temptation is really just it lies in our attitude and the way we embrace or run from that trial. At every point, it boils down to our decision to obey God or our decision to disobey him. And James is giving a stern warning here to those who are about to tire and, and give in to, to, to persevering, who have said, I persevered enough and God isn't coming through. Remember, he's writing to the persecuted church. He's writing to people who have been scattered because of persecution for a long time. And I'm sure they're weary. There are some of you here in the room tonight and you've been enduring a trial for a very long time. You've been going through a hard time for a very long time. And in the beginning, it was easy to persevere. It was easy to trust God. But now 
now when it's a long time that you're enduring it, it's getting harder and harder to endure it. And I just want to give you a word tonight. Don't let the enemy turn that into a temptation, a solicitation for you to do evil, for you to question God, to question his goodness. He's trying to lure you out. But look what James says here. He says, let no one say. That, that again is a universal no one. It includes us all. You're not the exception. Your situation is not the exception. You say, well, Rhea, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm just saying that James is including it all in here when he says, let no one. While he's being tempted, in the midst of being tempted, to question God. He's telling us how to think ahead of time. He said, let no one say this. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God himself tempt anyone. That's who he is. That's his character. There is, in him, there is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him, there is no darkness at all. Everything about God is good. It's his character. It's who he is. He cannot stop being that. That is who he is. Uh, God cannot lie. It's not that he just cannot. He will not lie. It's, this is impossible for him to do it. It's not that he will not do it. It's that he can't do it. It's impossible. He's immutable. He never changes. He stays the same. God is good today, and he will always be good. He doesn't change because of our circumstances. And so James is saying, remember that. Let no one blame God. Don't say you're being tempted by God because God can't tempt anybody. But isn't that what we want to do? When we get into a trial, when we get into a temptation, when the enemy comes to tempt us, don't we want to point the finger and blame it hasn't changed since the garden. Adam and Eve, well, when they sinned, what did they say? Eve said, eh, you know, it was the serpent. The devil made me do that. Anybody remember Flip Wilson? Re who was it? Geraldine, what was her name? Yeah, and, and she would say, the devil made me do it. The devil did not make you do it. You chose because you were lured away and enticed by your own evil desires, by the lusts inside of you. See, it's so much easier when we can blame somebody. And Adam, he says, well, I didn't do it. It was that woman you gave me, Lord. He's blaming God, isn't he? he it hasn't changed since the garden. And, and so James is making it clear that if we sin, we've made the choice. Our sin can't be blamed on somebody else. But we want to deflect sin. We want to blame somebody else. We want to point the finger. And so look what he says. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and he's enticed. That's interesting. Those words are hunting and fishing terms. And that's fascinating to me because my brother Ron and I used to, I used to go hunting and fishing with him and, and trapping with him. And I, I just loved it. He was, he's really a sportsman, an outdoor sportsman. And, and, and so he's good at those kind of things. And I remember long before deer season in, in rural Pennsylvania, he would go out like weeks before and he would take salt licks. Are you familiar with salt licks or am I really, you know, country hick here? Uh, he would take these big salt blocks and he would put them where he knew that his tree stand was going to be, where he was going to shoot deer. And, then, and he would put that salt lick there, and, and he would put some corn there as well. And so the deer would learn to come to that salt lick, and they would look for that salt lick day after day after day after day. Well, it, the, he'd lure them out, and, and they would learn that that salt lick was going to be there, that corn was going to be there, it was going to be yummy for them, and so they got lured out of hiding, and they would come to this salt lick. Well, you know, deer season rolled around. Ron had his... his, his um, tree stand there and the deer came looking for the salt lick they were lured out and bam they were goners 
And that's the picture that James is drawing there. He's saying, you're getting lured out. You're getting enticed. There's bait been set for you. Don't, don't. Don't forget that in the midst of your trial. I know you're going through a trial. I know this is difficult. I know you want to question God. I know that you want to give in to temptation and please your flesh. But I'm just telling you, it is a trick. It's bait by the enemy. He's enticing you. But look what he says. You're lured and you're drawn away by your own evil desires, by your own lusts. By your own lusts. The, the word Lord there is a fishing term, and I asked Dave to bring a fishing rod for me tonight because I, I wanted to just, I, I'm a visual learner, you know that. Leslie, can you put one of those gummy worms on here? Um, I brought some gummy worms for you because I just wanted to illustrate. I actually saw Francis Chan do this one time, and this word for Lord, he's lured away. I, I don't know if you've ever been fishing. I used to go fishing with my brother, and, and we did things like we would use earthworms, and sometimes the fish wouldn't bite, and so he would bring canned corn. And if that bait didn't work, we would change it to those little orange salmon eggs. And, and if that bait didn't work, he had some really nice lures that he used, and, and we'd like flip it on the water, and then we would We'd lure it, we would draw it across the water, and the little fish, you could just see them chasing after it. And, and they got lured. We lured them right to the hook that was on the end of that, 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 uh, that line. Thank you. <laughs> and what happens when, when the fish is lured to the line, to the hook, what happens when they take the bait? They're caught. And, and that's the picture that James is drawing here. He's saying, he, he's, he's luring you. He's baiting you, Diane. He's baiting you. Take the bait. It's tasty. Take it. And, and see, all you can see is the tasty bait. You cannot see that there's a hook on that line. Well, if the gummy worm doesn't work, and praise the Lord, somebody put this in the offering plate tonight. If the gummy worm doesn't work, we have something a little more tasty. There's a $100 bill for somebody. Does that do it for anybody? The gummy worm didn't work, but Masha, you know you want this. I'm Lord. Do you see? He'll change his bait. He will change his bait, and he will dangle that thing in front of you because his whole goal is to get you outside the presence of God. If he can lure you out of that safe place through temptation, see, he's tempting he is tempting, and he does not waste his bait. He doesn't waste his temptation. What's a temptation for Masha may not be a temptation for me. He knows what my bait is going to be, and it's not gummy worms. I promise you that. But he knows exactly what my bait is going to be. And the Bible says, James is saying, everyone is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. And then he says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death think about this i'm going through a trial a tribulation life is hard dave is working with men who have pornography addictions right now and and most of the pornography addictions let's just use that one because it's i'm familiar with it so so let's just use that as an example uh you know most men who have pornography addictions it, it is we we just talked to somebody last night on the telephone somebody called from california who's struggling with a pornography addiction and i was talking to his wife and and she said you know why 
did he do this to me? If, am I not good enough, Rhea? What is wrong with me? I'm like, oh, dear one, it has nothing to do with you. It's not about you. You could be, you could be Miss America with the best body in the whole wide world, and, it, and he would still have done that because, you see, it was, it's not about you. It is something deep inside of him. It's a need deep inside of him. And, and I said, it's like a tree. You know, pornography is the fruit up here, but, but the roots down here, that's what feeds the, that's what feeds the, the fruit. And, and, and whatever the root was, wherever the root got affected, that's what's producing the fruit. So you can snap off the pornography and he can stop looking at it. But if it hasn't dealt with the root, there's just going to be a different, a different addiction pop up. Do you see that? And, and so for this, for this man, he's tempted, not because of some knockout beautiful woman. He's tempted because he's got a pain inside of him. Maybe he's dealt with rejection as a child. Maybe he's been neglected as a child. Maybe he's not performing at work and he just needs to numb it. Maybe relationships are just too difficult for him. And to deal with a woman is just too hard. It's so much easier just to give me something on a, on, on a, 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 a computer screen and get a quick thrill and a quick hit, and get away, and I feel better about myself. But you see what the enemy does. You have a hard time coming. You're in a, a, a trial or a tribulation. You want to numb that pain. You know you don't want to feel that pain. Come on. Here's a little computer screen. Come on. Come on. Come on. You know you want this. I do want this. I do want this. I do want this. I love to look at that. And, and, and so now you've taken the bait, and your desire inside of you has been lured out. You've been lured because of that desire. That bait would not even trip me up, I'm going to tell you, because it's not my desire. So he could hang that inside of in front of me, and it wouldn't entice me at all. But you see, he knows a weakness, and he's going to wait till that weakness is really, really troubling you. And he's going to then hang that picture up. Come on, you know you want this. Take the bait. Take the bait. And your evil desire inside of you is going to say, I do want that. And you're going to get lured out of that place of safety. You're going to take the bait and you're going to get hooked. You're going to get hooked. But don't blame God. Don't blame God when you're in over your head. Don't blame God when your whole life is falling apart. Don't blame the devil either. The devil didn't make you do it. You got lured away. You got enticed. And now you're hooked. And that's what James is saying. We've got to learn that we've got to get smart in our tactics. I'll give you another example. Let's say I'm going through, let's use me. Let's say I'm going through a really hard time. Somebody did me dirty, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm really being tried by that. I'm, I'm in the middle of testing. I'm trying to love that person. They're hurting me over and over and over and over. And, and then, the, then the, the devil puts the bait in front of me, and he says, you have a right to be angry, Rhea. You need to tell her a thing or two. You can do it, Rhea. You got it in you. You got a temper. You need to tell her a thing. Go tell her a thing or two. Don't love her. Look where loving her's getting you, Rhea. Go tell her. Come on. And I'm like, I got it. I have a desire to tell her a thing or two. And, and I'm going to take that bait. And, and then I get hooked by saying things I didn't want to say and reacting in ways I didn't want to react. Do you see it? Now, Dave, who doesn't have a temper, that the enemy could, could hang that bait in front of him forever. And Dave wouldn't take that bait. Because he doesn't have a temper. He would not, there's not a desire in him to lose his temper and say a thing or two. You see it? But I can't blame God when I lose my temper. I have to say that I made the choice. I got lured away and hooked by that. And so what is the true source of our temptation? James is saying it's not God, it's not the devil, it's our own fleshly desires. It's interesting that word desire or lust 
Douglas Moo says, it's an intense longing for an improper object that is anything that gets in the way of our pursuit of God. John, if you want to flip over to John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I want to read this. Can you get that in the Amplified for me? I want to read that to you in the Amplified. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, <coughs> verses 16 and 17. I'll read it to you first in the New King James while Leslie looks that up for me. But it says, um, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. He's saying these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they don't come from the Father, they come from the world. And I just want to read it to you here in the Amplified. It's just, just good stuff. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, I believe. And I'm going to read it from the AMPC, the Amplified Bible, but the classic edition. Do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, craving for sensual gratification, and the lust of the eyes, greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life, assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father, but are of the world itself. And the world passes away and disappears. And with it, the forbidding cravings, the passionate desires, the lusts of the world. But he who does the will of God and carries out his purposes in life abides and remains forever. Lust is a human longing for what God forbids. For what God tells us is not good. And James is saying that we were lured away and were enticed by those things. I used to look at the, the scripture that says that Jesus was a man just like you and I, and he was enticed. He was, he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. And I'd be like, Lord, that's not even right. I don't know how you can be tempted like me because, you know, you didn't have what we have to be tempted. You weren't married. You, you didn't have drugs. And, 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 you know, I'm pretty sure you didn't smoke marijuana. And so how could you be, how could you be tempted in every way that I'm tempted if those things were not even available to you? But you see, we see them all under this heading, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They, they're all encompassing. And so he, he covered all of the temptations that we could ever hope to hit right in those three categories. If you look at the temptation of Adam and Eve, if you look at the temptation of, of Jesus, we see that all three of those areas are covered. Jesus, the devil comes to him and he tempts him. What's the first thing he tempts him with? Food. So what is that? The lust of the flesh. I'm going to feed, I'm going to gratify my flesh. Then what's the next thing he tempts him with? He takes him to a high place and he says, all this could be yours if you just bow down and worship me. What is that? The lust of the eye. And then, then what's the next one that he takes him to? Oh, come on. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. 
if I'm the son of God, didn't you just hear him say that before I came into the wilderness? I am the son of God. He doesn't think I'm the son of God. I am so the son of God. What is that? The pride of life. And did Jesus buy any of that, buy into any of that? Not one of them. He did not. He was, the enemy brought the temptation, but Jesus was not lured out and enticed by it. But he had every one of those temptations there. Do you see that? I can show you Adam and Eve. Eve, the ad, eat of this. You won't surely die. You'll be like God. What are all those? Lust of the flesh, lust that she saw that it was desirable to eat. Lust of the eye. Lust of the flesh, she ate of it. You'll be like God. Pride of life. You see? And that's what he uses to lure us out, to get us to sin. He wants, that's his temptation. But he really does it when we are going through um, trials and tribulations. But now go back to James, and I want you to look at the reproductive process that he describes there. Uh, James, again, each man is enticed, and he's tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Look at that uh, reproductive process there. I want you to see that lust or desire is the mother of, of all sin. Do you see that? That's why we have to keep our lusts and our desires in check. And, the Bible, and, and James is saying here that, that we are drawn away and enticed by our desires. And the enemy tempts us. He wants us to lure him out. And when we take that temptation that the enemy has put in front of us and we combine it with our desire, it conceives. It becomes one. When we become one with that temptation, when he lures us out with that temptation and we buy into it, we become one with it and there's conception that takes place. Do you see it? And that, that conception that takes place produces something. When you conceive, when a man and a woman come together and they conceive, there is always a child or an offspring that comes off of that. Is that correct? And so when we take the temptation and we combine it with our desire, sin, James says, is conceived. And what does sin give birth to? When it's full-grown, baby, death is coming. Separation from God. You're out of fellowship with God. I don't think that's an eternal death he's talking about there. I think he's saying you're going to not feel the pleasure of God. You're not going to be one with him. You're not going to be walking in fellowship with him. And it's not because God moved. It's because you got lured out and enticed. And so he says, do not be deceived, my brothers. People think, uh, the, a lot of commentators will say, well, that's James New. That's what we're going to talk about next week. It goes on with verses 17. I don't believe so. I believe he's saying, don't be deceived. You, it is not the devil. Stop blaming the devil for what you're choosing to do. Stop blaming God for what you're choosing to do. You have been, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked into believing that this is not a choice that you and I have. And we have got to learn that if we're going to try, if the enemy's going to try to get us to conceive, we're going to have an abortion awfully quick. There's nobody that doesn't believe in abortion more than I do. I'm just telling you, I'm not talking about a physical abortion here. I'm talking about a spiritual one. I'm saying when the enemy tries to conceive uh, desire and sin in you, you need to abort that thing pretty quickly because it is going to give birth to sin. It's going to give birth to death. So we have got to learn to control those lusts. We've got to learn to watch what the enemy is luring us out and enticing us with, what he's baiting us with. He says, don't be deceived. 
The only thing that prevents the reproductive process from occurring is that we choose not to be deceived by the devil, by the enemy. Don't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Now, I want you to look at verses 12 and then over to 13 through 15. Verse 12 says that when God tests, it's so that we may pass it and inherit a blessing. Blessed is the man who endures that test. But then in verses 13 through 15, we see that when we choose to fail the test because we've taken the bait of the enemy, we can't blame God. And so there, James is showing us that there's a negative and a, and a positive side to testing and tribulation. Um, I, I don't know if I've explained it like I wanted to explain it tonight. I don't know if you got it, but keep it in context with the rest of that passage. He's saying that you can be sure that temptations and trials are going to come. You're going to have some hard times in your life. But when you do, can you embrace them? Can you say, Lord, this is a way that you're going to grow me up. You're going to mature me. You're going to use this thing that I believe the enemy has brought, and you're going to use it for good. And so I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to consider it pure joy. I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to look at this and say, yay, I get an opportunity to look more like you. I get an opportunity to get some of this dross skimmed off my life. And so, Lord, do it because I want to be blessed as the man who's endured, who's endured, who stood the test who's passed the test, and get a crown of life. But James is saying, but be very, very careful. Make sure you're asking for wisdom when a hard time comes, when a trial comes. Make sure you're seeking the wisdom of God. Make, make sure you're living in his word, that you're seeking his direction. Because the enemy wants to use that temptation, to use that trial, to use that hard time, to use that difficult situation, to lure you out and to get you to sin to get you to question God and his goodness, to tempt you to do evil, the solicitation to do evil. So a test, a trial, can, for, can work one of two ways. It can either be something that matures you and grows you up, or it can be a solicitation to do evil. One is by embracing God's way. The other is by embracing the enemy's way. And we have to decide how we're going to handle it. So my challenge to you is, the next time you face a trial, two minutes before I came in here, I thought my father had appendicitis. Two minutes, before, I talked to him half an hour before I came in. I, I said, Daddy, you know, I'll call you as soon as I get out of Bible study. You should be out of surgery by then. He said, oh, Rhea, don't worry about me. I'm going to be just fine. It's just appendicitis. Two minutes before I came in, I get the text from my sister that they think it's colon cancer. Instead, they're going to hold off and do surgery in the morning. Like that, I went from peachy keen, honky-dory life to my father may be dying. The point it's a man to die once. I, I, my dad would not even let me pray for healing for him because he understands where he, he knows where he's going. He, 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 he understands absent from the body, he'll be present with the Lord. He's 85 years old. He's lived a wonderful life. Does that change the fact that it, would, it saddens me deeply that, that, would, that I could lose my father? So in a moment, I have a test, a trial come, but I am just going to tell you when Kels, who had no idea what was going on, started to sing, you're a good, good father, <laughs> you're doing this for my good, when she started to sing the song she was singing, I had to choose, I chose, I had, what was the last song you sang, darling? King, let the king, my boy, what's the, you are good, good, you are good, and I was like, ugh. I have a choice. Am I going to fault God with this and say you're not good because my father got sick? No. 
I made a choice. You are good. This isn't about you. We live in a corrupted world. We live in an, it is, it is under the, the world is under the, what is it? The ruler of this world. The prince of this world. I can't fault God because my father got sick. I can't get angry with the world because my father's sick. I can't go into depression and despair because my father might die. I have a choice. Will I embrace this trial and say, Lord, what do you want to do in this? Who can we talk to at the hospital about you, Lord? How do you want me to endure this? How can I get through this well? How can, I, how can you use this, Lord, to grow me up? How can we bring you glory in the midst of this? Because this world is fading, Lord God. It is fading like a flower in the sun. It was never meant to be embraced. And oh, I want to stay here forever. I want to be mindful, Lord, walking through this, that this is a vapor. We were never meant to stay here. It was never meant to be about this world. And so, Lord, how can I do it that better prepares me for the next one? that makes me shine in a, in, a, in a dark place. How can I do that, Lord? Because I am not going to question your goodness. I am not going to be lured out into depression and despair and, and, and take the temptation and the bait to do wrong here. And so, Lord, help me to persevere. Help me to pass this one with flying colors. And I can't wait for that crown of life. That's That's Zoe, by the way. Zoe life. The fullness of life. See, some of you are sitting here tonight and you don't have the fullness of life because you're in the midst of a trial or a tribulation and you're being lured out and enticed by hopelessness, by despair, by hatred, by unforgiveness, by anger. And so you're not experiencing Zoe. You're not experiencing the fullness of life. You haven't gotten the victory crown because you've instead allowed the enemy to lure you out and entice you. Abort that thing and get back under cover with the Lord. Do not be deceived, my brother. Every good and perfect gift is from above. God gives good gifts. Everything he does for us, everything he does in our life has the motivation of love behind it. He can't be tempted by evil, nor does he do evil. Everything in your life, at the core of it, is love. His love for you. If you're believing anything else, you've been lured out and baited. And you've taken the bait. So next week, oh, not, 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 not next week, huh? The next time we come together, I want to look at the, these other, I'm sorry, it'll be May. Um, we're going to move on to every good and perfect gift is from above. We're going to talk about the seed, the, just like there was conception that took place with desires uh, and it giving birth to sin, we're going to look at the seed of the word of truth that God puts in us. And then we're going to talk about laying aside all filthiness and wickedness and Accept that word planted in us, that seed that's been planted in us. We're going to talk about being doers of the word, not just hearers. And so it's going to be an exciting couple weeks, and it's good stuff. But so again, somebody asked me to just talk about the rhema word. I, I wish I had more time to get into it. 
This is another one of those things that, that, that you will find difference, difference of opinion about. If you look at maybe somebody from an evangelical church, they're going to tell you that, that there's no such thing as a rhema. It's just another word for word. My husband's evangelical, but he believes there's a rhema word. I, but, but in the charismatic churches, you will, you will hear um, them talk about a rhema word. I don't necessarily agree with that that version either. Dave and I were talking about it, and this is what we truly believe that a rhema is. There's three words for word in the Bible, in the Greek, and it's logos, I think it's graphe, something like that, and, and um, rhema. What I said last week, I was talking about how sometimes when we read the word, and incidentally, when I read the word, I never ever open up the Bible without saying, this is a supernatural word, Lord, and I need supernatural understanding. I never just whip open the Bible and begin to read because the Bible says that, that, that I don't even need a teacher, that God will send the Holy Spirit who will teach me. He'll teach me. And so I'm mindful of that, that, Lord, I don't understand this word in my natural because the Bible says that the natural man, spiritual things are uh, that things of the spirit are spiritually discerned and the natural man cannot understand them. And so when I'm coming to the spiritual book, the Bible, I can't in my natural mind understand it. And when I read it, I'm just going to get knowledge if I'm reading it with my natural mind. And knowledge is just going to puff me up. That's what the Pharisees had. They had a lot of knowledge, but, but they didn't apply that word. They didn't live that word. That word was not alive in them. And so when you just read the Bible for knowledge, you just end up being a puffed up Christian. And, and, you know, we can get a lot of schooling, we can go to, to a seminary, we can get puffed up with knowledge. But, but when I read the word, I want a word that the, that the Lord just brings revelation, he brings understanding, that, that he whispers truth to me about it. Now remember, this is where the, the charismatic churches will go wrong, as they say a rhema is, is a quickened word that God speaks to you, and it's not always in line with the word of God. Now hear me say that a rhema will always come directly from here and line up with everything in here. So the Logos is, is what you're reading when the rhema comes. Do, do you see the difference? And, and so uh, anything that the Holy Spirit, if somebody says the Holy Spirit said that, if it does not line up with that word, throw that thing out. If I say anything that doesn't line up with that word, throw the thing out. And, and so a rhema word is when I'm reading the Bible, I'm sitting there in the morning and I'm reading, and Lord, I need understanding. I, I'm reading this, it's not making any sense to me. Can you just give me understanding? I use the illustration of Dave. My husband has just really, really, really bad handwriting, and, and, and he used to write me love notes, and, and I didn't want to hurt his feelings, but I couldn't read it. And, and, and so I would just say, oh, that was so sweet, but I was like, I want to know what that says. I just can't figure it out. And when he wasn't looking, I would go back into our bedroom, and I would try to read it, and I'd try to decipher, what does this say? Because I want to know. It's a love note. And, but I didn't want to hurt his feelings by saying, baby, I just can't read your handwriting. And so one day I went to him and I said, Dave, I'm sorry, but I just really want to know what this says. Can you just tell me? Can you tell me what this word is right here? And he, he just laughed because he wanted me to know. And so he was more than glad to tell me what, that, what, what it meant and what he was writing. And that's the Lord. This word is his love note to you. And he wants you to understand it. He wants you to be able to decipher it. And, and so when you go to that word, when I go to that word, I say, Lord, I don't understand this. Can you give me revelation? Can you give me understanding? And, and for me, that's what the rhema is. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That word is rhema. 
Faith comes when I get a rhema, when I get an understanding, an insight into a word that I didn't have before, when the Holy Spirit quickens it in my spirit, and I'm like, ah, that's what it means. And and that's why the Bible says, uh, you know, the man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, 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 With God, nothing is impossible. That word nothing, no thing, no rhema is impossible. When you get a rhema, you understand. God means what he says, and I'm going to hold it up to him and say, this is truth, I believe it's truth, it got quickened inside of me, and I'm going to stand on that and not move. That's why the Bible says that the, that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The thing that we fight the enemy with is the word of God, the rhema of God. I can't fight the, the enemy with the logos. I'm not going to fight him with just words I'm reading off a page. Because it doesn't get its truth deep inside of me. I might say it's truth because it says it here. But, but I got it when I get a rhema, when the, word, when the Lord says this is what it means, I can be in a situation. That's why it's so important we memorize scripture. Because how many times have you been in a situation where, where you need a word from the Lord and all of a sudden something comes back to mind that you memorized 10 years ago and now you have an understanding of it you didn't have before. That's a rhema. That's a rhema. That's an aha moment. And so that, that's my understanding, that's Dave's understanding of a rhema word. And, and so I said all that to you what, last week to just talk about the importance of getting God's word inside of you, that his word is truth. And we have to use it as a sword, as a, a weapon against the enemy. If Jesus had to use the word of God a, a, against the enemy in temptation, how much more do you and I need to do that? And so I can't stress to you enough, you know I I tell you this all the time, the importance of getting God's word in us. Getting God's word in us. If you go out in my Jeep right now, there's a scripture uh, up up on my rearview mirror that I'm I'm meditating on right now. It's important that we have it around us, that we get that word inside of us. Don't wait till the trial comes. Store it inside of you so that God can bring that back to mind. When I pray for people, I, 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 will, I will pray for them. And, and it might be, I hadn't thought about a scripture for years, and the Lord will bring that through my mind to pray for that person. That's why storing that scripture up is so vital in our lives. Did I answer that question clear enough? Beverly will be here next week, um, and then we're going to have two weeks off and um, watch for the bait this week. You don't have to take the bait. Temptation is not sin. It's when you act on it that it becomes sin. When you take the bait, let sin be conceived and give birth to death. That's when it becomes destructive. So remember, don't forget my brother Salt Licks and his corn that he put out just to entice, just to lure, so that at the right moment, death could come for that deer. And so, Father, I thank you for every man and woman in this room. I thank you for your word that's living and active. I thank you, Father, that it doesn't ever return void. And so, the Lord, Lord, the word that was deposited in people's minds tonight, I pray, Lord God, that it would reap a harvest, not, not 20, not 30, not 60. I'm praying for a hundredfold harvest in their life, that this word would get deep down inside of them as truth. And, Lord God, that it would guide and direct their week. Father,
Father, I pray that you'd make us mindful as we go through trials to trust you, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to understand, Lord God, that you've allowed this in our life for whatever purpose, but it's a good purpose. And that if we do it your way, Lord God, we will have a victor's crown in the end. And Lord God, I pray that you'd make us mindful of when the enemy tries to entice us and to use that trial as a temptation and a solicitation to do evil. And Father, that you would just make us alert to the schemes of the enemy and that we would not buy in and be enticed by those things, I pray. Father, bless each person here. I pray for